And actually before that, all the way from chapter 12, verse 1, all the way to chapter 14, verse 25, are teaching. There's teaching. There's teaching first, right? And then application second. That's the pattern in all of Paul's letters. It's no different here. We've just finished verses 1 to 25 of chapter 14. And that was all about Paul explaining why prophecy was a superior gift to tongues. Because prophecy, everybody could understand, and it built up the whole congregation. But as we saw earlier, neither one of those gifts, neither tongues nor prophecy, are in operation today. We've seen that. And we saw that, we saw that tongues just ceased of its own accord when it had fulfilled its purpose. And we saw that purpose was to warn the Jews and of coming destruction and judgment. And at the end of the book of Acts, we see Paul for the last time appealing to Jewish leaders. And once again, they did not have success. And that was really it. There was no, nothing else that was brought by God to the Jewish people after that. And then in A.D. 70, a few years later, of course, the destruction and judgment came when the the armies from from Rome and the Roman Empire destroyed Jerusalem and sent the people scattering across the globe, where where the Jewish people remain today. So tongues ceased of its own accord once its purpose had been achieved. Prophecy, and this is in chapter 13, by the way, prophecy was done away by arrival of something else. You see, when the complete written works of Paul were, were in writing, then there was no need for prophecy anymore. Remember, prophecy was partial, giving partial revelation. But all of that would be captured in the writings, particularly of Paul, because he had the new, re, re, new revelation for the church, which the prophets were giving in pieces. So once that was written, there was no more need for prophecy anymore. So again, neither tongues nor prophecy is in operation today. Now, we've seen back in chapter 12, and I'm setting us up today for the practical side of things in chapter 14. Okay? We saw in chapter 12 that it addressed the common good. Spiritual gifts are for the common good of the body of Christ as a whole. He described the body and that all members work together. He, just, he said, listen, all the gifts that you have, they're all for the purpose of the common good. That you're not to look at your gift as something you have and you hoard. It's actually, because it's a gift, it's meant to be given to the congregation. That was chapter 12, common good. In chapter 13, remember, that emphasized all spiritual gifts must operate in love. Without love, Paul writes, I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So love is at the root of it. If you're not exercising your spiritual gift in love, you're not exercising it at all. That was chapter 13. All teaching now. And then the first part of chapter 14, more teaching that prophesy, prophecy was superior to tongues. Tongues was in a, a foreign language that nobody could understand. How could that be building anybody up? But only if there was an interpreter. Right? And many times there wasn't. But prophecy, on the other hand, and, and Paul said, I would rather speak five words in a language that, with my mind than 10,000 words in a tongue. Why? Because that language, that teaching, builds everybody up. Somebody babbling in tongues may not build anybody up except themselves. And that's okay. But it's not okay in the worship service where we gather together to build everybody up. So that's what we've seen in setting you up now for the instructions part of these three chapters. And that begins 
right where we are today, in verse 26 of chapter 14. Paul starts to give instructions. See, there's teaching, okay? Here's what the spiritual gifts are all about. They're for the common good. They're to operate in love. Prophesy, if, you can, if your gift builds everybody up, that's superior to a gift that may not build anybody up except yourself. It's all teaching. Now he's going to turn and say, given all of that, I'm now going to give you instructions. All right? He gave these to the saints at Corinth, and these were specific. The instructions concerned, okay, now how are we to use our spiritual gifts? In particular, because he's focused on this, the communication gifts. How are we to use communication gifts? When the saints gather together for worship. That's what we're going to see in the rest of chapter 14. Paul gives detailed instructions, as we've read this morning, for two communication gifts. We've already mentioned them, tongues and prophecy. What have we seen about those two gifts? Neither one is in operation today. So I want you to just think about that. Here we're going into a section where Paul is giving detailed instructions. He is. Detailed, two or most three, and if somebody has, has a tongue and there's no one to interpret, there's a lot of detailed instructions that we read today. Very clear on how they're to conduct their worship service, and in particular, how they're to use the communication gifts of tongues and prophecy. But here we are. We're in the 21st century, and tongues and prophecy have not been in operation for 20 centuries. All right? They're not applicable. Prophecy is not applicable. In other words, the Lord no longer is using men to reveal new things to the church. All right? He's no longer using tongues because its purpose was long ago fulfilled. Hmm. So those aren't even applicable to our worship services today. So what does that mean? Should, we like, should I just read this and then skip it over and then go to something else? Do you think I should? Do you want to do that? Of course not. Because all Scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for instruction. No, we shouldn't skip over this section because it does apply to us. The question is how? And the answer is very simple. There are five enduring principles. So you have instructions, you have temporary gifts, all right, temporary, right? And then their, their, their purpose is achieved and they're not on the scene anymore. But Paul, on top of all of that, is teaching enduring principles that, that are for all times in the church, including ours. And that's where we are going to spend our time this morning. What is it that still holds? What is it that still holds about our spiritual gifts? What still holds about our worship together? Our gathering together? And we're going to see there's five enduring principles that should guide us every bit as much as the Corinthians in the first century. They ought to guide our conduct. The issue here is conduct. See, his instructions had to do with conduct for tongues and for prophecy. That two or most three should actually speak in tongues. That's conduct, okay? Same thing with prophecy. You had detailed instructions about how they do that, how the prophets are subject to one another and so forth. But today, he doesn't leave us adrift when it comes to our conduct, when we come together as an assembly, because there's five enduring principles. Number one, this is really important. I want you to concentrate on it. All members of the body are gifted. Remember, he said, you can see it in verse uh, 26, where he says, when you assemble, each one has something, a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. That was then. But the principle remains. All of you, all of us are gifted. All of us, each of us, 
has a manifestation of the Spirit. It's just that those manifestations are, are different today, all right, or at least don't include some of those temporary gifts. But we still have manifestations of the Spirit. In fact, each one of us does. We're all members of the body, right? Each one of us is a member of the body of Christ, and we all have our gift. Well, since that's true, each of us should have the opportunity to use the gift to build up the church. Each one. Now, today, we don't have prophets, we don't have tongues, but we have gifts, and each one of us should have the opportunity to use those gifts to build up the church. That's an enduring principle. Please turn to 1 Corinthians 12, 7. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. He's mentioned this earlier as well. I'm going to have a bit of a review of these three chapters this morning as we come into this practical side where the principles are now going to be put to use. Look at chapter 12, verse 7. But to each one, here it is. This is a principle that holds today. Each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You have a manifestation of the Spirit, and it's for all of us. So that if you're not using it, see, we, there's something that we don't, we're missing out on something. Okay? Just think of it that way. You have a gift. If you're not using it, then we're missing out, all of us. Okay? Now, it might not be your fault. You see, one of the things that I'm realizing is that, that there are these principles have to be brought into how we gather together today. And it might be that we change some things going forward. It might be that more than one of us, and I know this is true, more than one of us has a communication gift. When we get together on Thursdays for informal Bible study, we, we have that going on. In other words, there's, there's people um, that have things to share, to teach. Okay? And that happens in that environment. Maybe we can figure out how it can happen here. It's, it's a matter of fact, that I shouldn't be up here all the time. You know, you must be so bored. Say, oh, there he is again. He's the only one just about in the congregation with a suit, and he's doing his thing, and we're having the announcements, and, you know. Maybe we should have other people do the announcements. Whatever. Now, we do have things going on, like the song service. People have an opportunity. Not everybody has a communication gift. But in any event, it's something to think about. Please turn to 1 Corinthians 14.26. 1 Corinthians 14.26. We just read this, but let's read it again. What's the outcome then? I love that. Paul's saying, listen, I just gave you two and a half chapters of teaching. So what? Right? What's the outcome? What does it mean? Why am I doing this? Well, he's doing this because there's a lot of things that they were doing wrong when they were worshiping. And he wants to correct it. He says, when you assemble, I know that each one of you has a psalm, or a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Each of you has a gift, but it must be, op- must be used in such a way that everybody's built up. You know, if you think about tongues, and Paul set up that extreme example where an unbeliever comes into the congregation and everybody's speaking in tongues at once. You know, not a good first impression. Could you imagine being that poor person? By the way, I know what it's like to be that poor person. I was invited one time by somebody to a Pentecostal service, and I'm walking in there, and all of a sudden there's this cacophony of sound, and I'm looking around, and I'm like, I'm the only one who doesn't know what's going on now. You know, if you're an unbeliever, that's not exactly an invitation. 
Okay? And as a matter of fact, it violates this principle of being built up and edified. I was scared. <laughs> I was scared and confused. I couldn't wait to get out. Now, I'm not, if you're a Pentecostal, I apologize for putting you down, but I'm just talking about that kind of worship. That kind of worship. It can happen in any, any you know, they're, they're, you walk into certain churches today and you don't get built up. You know, you may be carried away with what's going on, but you're not built up and edified. Why? Because that requires the word of God. All right. So, all things done for edification, but each has a gift. That's the first principle. Make sure you have that. That's the, that's the bedrock of what we're going to talk about today because everything else follows from the fact that we're all gifted. And we say, therefore, we all have opportunity and responsibility in that respect. We, as we'll see, we all are to be using that in love rather than the ways in which the Corinthians were using it that were causing division and, and chaos and confusion. We don't want that. That's the second principle. Enduring. It was true in the first century. It's true today. Our services should be conducted properly with dignity in an orderly manner. All right? Now, it doesn't mean we have to be totally rigid, but it does mean that there's an order, orderly way in which we're going about it. So that why? So everybody can be relaxed and just receive what is being presented at that time. You see it? Whether it's a song service, whether it's a preaching of the Word of God, whether it's a guest speaker, whatever it is, it should be conducted properly in an orderly manner. Here's the way to think about it. This is what Paul brings up when he says, God is not a God of confusion. Our worship service should look like the character of the Lord. When you think about that, the character of the Lord. In other words, if the Lord were conducting a worship service, how would it be? Right? What is it? What is, who is he? What are the characteristics that he wants us to be displaying when we have those manifestations of the Spirit. Well, I'll tell you something. Please turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, because here's the answer to that. Not confusion in the service. Peace. Peace. Rest. This should be a place where people rest. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be challenged. But, you know, if you, if you, if you combine, okay, anxiety and confusion with the Word of God challenging you, can you say that could be overwhelming in a heartbeat? But on the other hand, if, you, if there's a sense of love that you enter into and a sense of an order and a, and, and, a, and a proper seriousness, but also relaxation, then you're sort of opened up to the idea that, you know what, I probably should listen. There are probably some things I really you know, have to be changed with by the Spirit. So we should be courteous of one another. All right? And we should operate with the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22-23. This, this is what it means to be conducting yourself properly. All right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's primary. You, you know, you can kind of go through and, and maybe not exactly do, feel like you're really operating according to all the principles of the Word of God. <laughs> None of us will ever do that. Okay, I know because I'm a perfectionist and I'm studying the word all the time. And, you know, and I, I'm always, the perfectionist in me is always doing something like this. Oh, you're going to teach on that? You're not living in it. You're not living in it. You know? But if I, believe me, if I were to be conscious of everything in the word of God and trying to live like that, you might as well put me in a straitjacket. I'm being honest with you. Because that's not the intent. We're supposed to walk by means of the Spirit not by means of our ability to 
get everything packaged. Does that make sense? When we're operating according to the walk of the Spirit, trust me, He is going to work things out. Okay? But the key thing, if you, if you forget everything else, the key thing is to operate in love. If you do that, you can't go wrong. If you operate in love, if you're thinking about others' needs, okay? if, you're, if, you're, if you're conducting yourself in such a way that you're putting yourself aside for a little while and, and opening up to the other people, if you're willing to sacrifice something so that somebody else receives what they need, you're operating in love. You know, you, you may not be, I may not be perfect, I'm never perfect. Don't get the idea there's some kind of mysterious way in which I have achieved perfection when I'm behind the pulpit. I, here we go. I make mistakes behind the pulpit. You can all leave now if that's too much for you. But you see who never makes a mistake? Just God the Holy Spirit. And, and if, the, if what the general message that he would have you receive today, if that's delivered, then I shouldn't be all, oh, you know, I think I said this word in point two wrong, or I should have used the better, you know, all that nonsense that we go through. And I'm sure you have the things that you go through. And some of them are important. They, we ought to be challenged. We ought to be changed by the word. But we shouldn't be in a, in a legalistic straitjacket. In any event, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy. Yeah. We're supposed to write Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. We should, when we gather together, let's be happy. Let's be rejoicing. Now, not because, oh, I won the lottery or, you know, this or that. I just got a new car. But we should always be rejoicing because of who we are in Christ. The fact that, that he has abolished death. The fact that the, the power of the, of the spirit of life, that's who we have now in Christ Jesus, has defeated the, the power of sin and death. That's what we can rejoice in all the time. You may have aches and pains. You may have lost a loved one. You may not have a job. But that doesn't change who you are in Christ. It doesn't change that you're an adopted son or daughter of the living God. It doesn't change the fact that you've placed in union with Christ forever. It doesn't change the fact that you have an inheritance waiting for you in heaven. That's what we rejoice in. Right? We rejoice. But how do we rejoice? Do we come in here and fake it and have a nice smile and giggle and all that? No, what we do is we set our minds on these truths. Set our minds on the promises. The joy will be there. Next, peace. We should be resting in the Lord, especially when we gather together. You see it? If there's, if there's chaos and gossip and division and rivalry, we're not going to be able to do that. We're not going to have peace and rest. Patience. You know, one of the things that I think, if you see the, uh, the idea that was taught by Paul to the prophets in the first century, that you should conduct yourselves one at a time. So if somebody's up speaking, right, and you're, you're sitting, you've got to be patient. You know how it is some people, when you have a conversation with them, you can tell that the whole time you're speaking, they're just waiting for you to catch your breath so that they can say what they want to say. That's not patience. That's not courtesy, right? When we operate together in the worship service, we're to be that. We're to be kind to one another. Kindness. You know, there's times when, and I'm not, I'm just, I, I know how, to, how my gift works, so there's times when um, if I see somebody who's in a certain situation, or if I see somebody who's new and looking a little bit out of place, those kind of things, you know, 
My whole, see, if I, see I, people criticize the fact that pastors have their whole message written down because, well, you know, it's not inspired. Get behind the pulpit and be inspired. Well, I am. But you see, when I have this, you know what happens? It opens me up to be able to, to minister to you. And, and that's part of the, the, that's what I mean by kindness, thinking about others. Um, goodness, all right? Goodness. Not perfection, but goodness. Understanding that our integrity, our growth, has a positive impact on everybody else. It's not just about us. We're not supposed to get to a place where we're super Christians and leave everybody in the dust. That's some, some people think that's Christianity. That's the opposite of Christianity. Christianity says that we are to be growing for the benefit of one another. In fact, growing together. Growing as a body. We're the body of Christ. This is a little, I mean, I've used these illustrations before. You're probably tired of them. But can you imagine, imagine a baby, all right? And the baby's growing. The problem is the only thing that's growing is his nose, right? So you have this little baby remains, you know, little, like, you know, I don't know how long a baby is, 18 inches, I don't know, whatever it is. He's always 18 inches, but his nose keeps growing. Pinocchio or something like that. Well, that's not the idea, is it? No, the body is to grow together, right? That's true of us. We're not, you know, when he says run the race, we're not running the race against each other. We're running the race so that we know whatever it is that the Lord has called us to, we're heading straight forward with it, but we're not supposed to be running against each other. We're supposed to be a body, members one of another. Faithfulness. I'm going to say something that might be a little bit uh, convicting to some of us this morning, but in terms of the worship service, you know what that means? It means not forsaking the assembling together. That it's important for each of us to be faithful to gathering together. I mean, imagine, imagine if you were on a baseball team. And they're a unit. And then there's a game. The only problem is, you know, the catcher says, you know what, i got a soccer game instead. I'm not going to play the baseball game. And the pitcher says, you know what, I'm a little tired today. I'm going to stay in bed. And the first, and the first, believe me, and the first baseman says, you know, I have, a, I have a beef with the second baseman, so I'm not coming until he apologizes. Now, what kind of a team would that be? A lousy one. And yet, we're a team. And for whatever reason, we don't often think of it that way. And as a result, I'm sorry, but this is the truth. Many of us are sloppy in terms of gathering together. We're here, then we're not here. And we think that's okay. As a matter of fact, we think... The problem is, is that we think it's all about us. And so he says, you know, all right, I'm going to come back and hear something. If I hear what I want to hear, that'll be great. I'll be built up for a few weeks. See you at the next Lord's Supper. That's not the idea. All right. Now, see, the thing is about it, the people are going to say, oh, he just wants a big congregation. Well, yeah, that'd be nice. But that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that for one another. See, I, I, my job is to study the word of God and preach it to you. Okay. But you, you ought to receive that and then think about everybody, not just me, not just yourself. Gentleness. Gentleness. How we, you know, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. you know, think, think of the, t- the tenderness of the Lord when that woman caught in adultery was brought to be judged and stoned by all of those arrogant, self-righteous Pharisees types. You see, they weren't kind. They weren't gentle. 
But he certainly was. You see, and, and by the way, the people we used to be really on, on the point to be gentle with is people that need to have people around them being kind for change. You know, you know, the person who's been unemployed and feels bad about themselves. The person who is here for the first time. A child who, you know, who seems like they're not, not behaving correctly. You know, our gentleness can make a big difference in people's lives. And then self-control. Same thing. You know, when we're here together, we'd be, we'd be self-controlled. In other words, we're not to be, it's not, we're not just here to, you know, let it all hang out and I'm going to show you what my gift is and man, I'm going to, I'm going to sing a solo and I'm going to belt it out and you all better applaud at the end, you know. The idea is to be self-controlled. In other words, keeping your own ego in check, right? Make your behavior proper, you know, look people in the eye. Say hello, right? These things require modicum discipline. I know, it's tough. But that's, that's the kind of thing we should be thinking about. Against such things, there is no law. In other words, this is, this is the character of the Lord. And that should be in evidence when we gather together. That's number two. Really important. All right. So the first one, each of us has a gift and should have opportunities to exercise it. The second one, we should gather in together and conduct ourselves properly in an orderly manner that reflects the character of the Lord. Number three, remember there's communication gifts and actually the gathering together and when we're assembling, there should be the preaching of the word. There should be one or more people with that, that have communication gifts that exercise them. Now, we saw in our passage this morning, we did read how, you know, the, the, the prophets should be judging one another. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. Now, here's the thing. Prophecy doesn't exist anymore. But does that principle go away? And the answer is no. The content of speech now, okay, whether it's song, whether it's the preaching of the word, whether it's the evangelist, whoever it might be, the way we have the right to evaluate it, okay, but according to God's word. See, the prophets had some of God's word, and they would use that, and more than one of them, because they all had portions that they understood. They would use that at that time to judge another prophet. Judge the content, not put the person down or, or you know, your sins, but the content of what the person's saying. But that principle holds today. The only difference is that we have the completed word of God. And so that because we have that, now all of us can and should be listening in a discerning way. In other words, if I were to get up here and say to you this morning that, you know what, I know that you believe in Christ maybe for salvation, but here's the thing. You've got to keep yourself saved now. You've got you to you work at it. You could lose it. Now, how many of you would be discerning something wrong with that? You can raise your hand. Everybody, right? Especially us together on Thursdays where we're looking at the subject of eternal security. That the moment you believe in Christ, you are secure for all of eternity. You have eternal life. So that's an example of it. But we all have the right and actually the obligation to be discerning in what we're hearing. Okay? That's true here. It's true when you hear a preacher on the radio. It's true when you listen to a televangelist. Okay, that we should always be saying, whatever I'm hearing, I'm glad that somebody's trying to preach, but I better make sure it lines up with God's word. Please turn to Acts 
chapter 17, verse 11, to see this in operation in the first century. Acts 17, 11. We judge the content of speech in the worship service according to God's word. Okay. The prophets had portions and they evaluated one another, but today we have the complete word of God. Here's how a group acted that way in the first century. Acts 17.11. Now these, these are the people of Berea, the Christians, the believers. The Bereans were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. It's interesting because we don't have a letter to the church at Berea, do we? But we have two to the Thessalonians. So in other words, the churches shouldn't necessarily get all puffed up because they received a letter from Paul. I mean, we see that clearly in the letter we've been on for a while, 1 Corinthians. But why did he write that letter? Because of all the problems that were in that congregation. Anyway, these Bereans were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with great eagerness, but what did they do when they received it? Examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. That's your right to examine whatever is being said here, whether I'm speaking or whether it's a song or whatever it might be. You can receive it with eagerness, but you can also and should examine the scriptures to see whether the things that are said were on target. On target. Therefore, many of them believed. You see now, in most of the places that Paul visited, he first went to the synagogues and preached to the Jewish people. And if you think about it, at this point in time, there was very little, if any, of the written word of of God from the New Testament writers. Okay, So when it says examine the scriptures, the scriptures they were using were the Old Testament scriptures. And when Paul went to the Jews, he always pointed out how the Old Testament scriptures said that they would have a Messiah who would die and rise again from the dead. And Jesus was that Messiah. So when they heard these things from Paul, and he would cite, you know, you can read his letters and you see a lot of times he's citing the Old Testament. I'm sure he did that. Obviously he did that when he was preaching on sight. And so they would hear that, but they would take that time and and do the work to then go to the Old Testament scriptures and make sure they could find the passages that Paul cited and then understand that those passages definitely say what Paul said they said. If there's laziness in Christianity today, and what I mean by that is that people will take anything, hook, line, and sinker. They, just, they won't do the work, you know? Maybe you come. It's great that you come, and I'm happy that you come, and that's the most important thing. But remember, you should have an active relationship with this Bible, with this book. So you really should, especially if something's confusing, not quite sure how that lines up, go to the passages. And, and by the way, people have done this, you know, especially on Thursday nights, where those of you that know what I'm talking about that attend then, but they'll be like, well, you know, you, you read verses 8 to 12, but look at verse 13. And I'll look at it, and you're like, I'm like, wow, you know, you're right. That's another thing we should put on the table, you know? So you have that right, and you should really be doing that. You should be checking out the scriptures. Okay. So, number one, each of us has a gift. Number two, we should conduct ourselves in an orderly way. 
according to the character of the Lord. Number three, the speakers, the content of what they say should be judged now according to the word of God. Number four, I've already said this today, but this is an enduring principle. Spiritual gifts are useless without love. Again, I'll use the gift I have. You know, if I, I, could, I could know the Bible inside and out. By the way, I don't. Okay? I'm, if I knew the Bible inside and out, then I wouldn't need to study anymore, would I? Right? No, no pastor knows the Bible inside and out. They may know more than you, but there's always new things to realize about it. Okay? You may have read the book of Romans before, but do you really know it inside and out? By the way, you can't really know it inside and out until you've lived according to it. Mm. In any event, my point, though, is, is that you could have a preacher who has a great command of the Scriptures, but, but he has disdain for you. you everything about it is, is you're not this and you're not that and, I, you know, and all of that, right? And I did a little of that this morning, you know, so maybe I don't have love. No, that's not it at all. The point is that, that there has to be love in the heart of whoever's communicating God's word. If it's not there, it's useless. Now, I know that seems surprising. Now, I'm not talking about the scriptures being useless, but I'm talking about what he's doing behind the pulpit is not going to get through if people realize that this, per- this person has lacking in love for us. All the gifts are useless without love. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, 2. 1 Corinthians 13, 2. I mean, there are things that, that preachers can do when they love the congregation that they might not do if they have disdain for the congregation. You know, I'm not going to point out examples that I do because that's self-serving. But it's true. There's certain behaviors of pastors that send a signal that they don't really care about the congregation. They care about something else. You know, maybe, maybe they care more about how beautiful the building is or about a certain ministry. That's outside, or maybe they wrote a book and they want everybody to read it, you know, but they're not really keyed into the needs of the people that are right in front of them. That's what I'm talking about. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, 2. If I have the gift of prophecy, that's a communication gift. We're going to see what we have today. If I have the gift of prophecy, and if I know all mysteries, and I have all knowledge, if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love. I am nothing. I'm nothing. I could know the whole Bible inside and out. I can have a great spiritual gift, communication gift. I, I can even have so much faith that I can remove mountains. Uh, don't look to me to do that, but it's an exaggeration. Okay? But if I have no love in all of that, it's useless. I am nothing. And it's true of all the spiritual gifts. Number one, each of us has a gift and should have the opportunity to exercise it. When we gather together, all things must be done properly in an orderly manner. Okay? We've seen number three. I'm going to cheat because I forget. I'm getting old. You know, I'm getting so old. Anybody have their notes for number three? Ah, yeah. Content of speech should be judged according to the word of God. Okay. Content of the speech should be according to the word of God. We've seen that. Now, four, spiritual gifts are useless without love. Okay, without love. 
And then finally, number five. How many times have you heard this? But now that we're in the application phase, okay, all things that should be done for the edification of the church. If somebody has a cute little kid in the mother's room and wants to put him up to the window, make sure everybody could see. Because <laughs> build up everybody in the church. That's a principle, though, in God's Word. Okay? All things. All, the key word here is all. All things. All the things that we do here when we gather together should be aimed at the edification, building up one another. Be done in love. Be done in a proper way, according to God's word, recognizing that each of us has a gift. Building things up. You know, everything, even the little things, matter. You know, I see this all the time with, 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 with us, with you, and, and somebody new comes in, and I see that people recognize it. They're not pushy. You know, the worst thing in the world is to be pushy with somebody. You know, there's a lot of salesmanship in the church. You know what I'm saying? Hey, you're here today. Hey, great. Take this card. Hey, you know, we want to see you back. And we're, can I have your income? Because we're tithing and, all, you know, all of that. <laughs> you know, not that. But in a, in a sensible, gentle way, with some wisdom, right? You interact with people, new people in particular. Make them feel welcome. That may seem like a small thing. It's not a small thing at all. Not a small thing to the person. Not a small thing to the body being built up. Because, you know, the, if, if too many things are not done according to love, not done according to building up one another, guess what? The whole thing can fall apart. You know, I mean, I've used this example in the past. I'll use it again today. You can have an assembly, and we're tight, and we're unified, and then there's one person who has a beef. Maybe it's with me, maybe it's with the building, maybe it's with you. And all of a sudden, they're on the phone telling people, hey, you know what, this is what's wrong with pastor. Hey, you know what, you should really come with me. We're going to find a better church. Hey, you know what, let's, you know, let's peel off some other people while we're at it. One person can break up something that we've been building for you know, 10 years. So we should always be sensitive to the idea that we should be acting in love and building each other up. Again, that doesn't mean we just butter people up, right? Part of building people up is being straight with them, telling them the truth, but speaking the truth in love. Okay. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, 26 again. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What is the outcome, brethren? When you assemble... Uh, each one of you has a psalm, a song, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. But let all these things be done for edification. We have a set of spiritual gifts. Now, you know, I've mentioned this before that the lists are not really meant to be exhaustive, meaning that that's it, here's the list, okay? But they're the ones that the Lord wants us to know we have, all right? So we should start there, all right? And that's what we're going to do today. We need to ask, what are our communication gifts? Like, I, mean, I mean, I've mentioned several times today that prophecy is not one of our communication gifts. Tongues is not one of our communication gifts. But that doesn't mean we don't have any, all right? We, as a matter of fact, we have communication gifts and service gifts, serving. Speaking, serving. That's the main breakdown. Okay? 
So I want you to think about both of those. We kind of looked at speaking gifts today in the context of make sure that it lines up with God's word. Make sure that people who have the gift have an opportunity to exercise it. Then there's the serving gifts. Those are to be in operation when we gather together. You know, some people, and this is why, some people think they can have a gift and they can like use their gift in the workplace or outside. Now, you should be preaching the gospel in the workplace and outside, but please understand that the spiritual gifts are given for us here, for the assembly, for the body of Christ to be built up. Why? Because the body of Christ is going to be subject to all kinds of attacks. Right? We need to be growing together. So we have these manifestations of the Spirit to do that here. What are they? Look at verse um, 26. It mentions two communication gifts that are still active today. We start here. What are the two? A song. In other words, we still have the gift of song. And that's a gift. If you think about it, it's a communication gift. I know we don't think of it that way. A lot of us enjoy the rhythm of a song, and that's okay, and clapping it, and oh, what a great harmony and all that. But the key is, is that there's a message, right? Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee, right? Not the labors of my hands, right? Building us other up, realizing that, oh, right. I, don't, I got all that stuff I'm trying to do to please God, and it doesn't please him at all. I'm just getting tired. But what I understand is I don't have to because he did it all. He has to do it all. I can't atone for one sin. He had to go to the cross for me and die. And it had to be finished. When we hear that in a song, it's every bit as valuable to us, building us up, sometimes more so. You know, because it does relax us. We kind of enjoy singing. And then we're opened up to hearing the words. By the way, that same principle holds for false words. For words that are against the word of God. You can like the tune, and then you better listen to the words. You know, there's a lot of passages, Christian music today, that doesn't have anything to do with the Bible, or anything to do really with what Christ did for us. A lot of other things. There's a lot of um, navel gazing. You know what I mean? In other words, singing about them and their journey, and that. it's all about the me. I wrote a song about me. Threw in the Lord in a couple of places. No, you know, the Word of God should be powerfully presented in the song service. Teaching. Now, teaching is not just preaching in front of everybody, okay? Teaching is probably what's going on a little bit right there in the, in the mother's room today. Teaching is when people write for young people so they can have teachings that the parents can use with the young people. There's a lot of different ways in which teaching goes on. It's not just behind the pulpit. Please turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 4. Romans chapter 12, verse 4. You know, if there's some passages you want to write down today, I would write these down because we need to you know, go back again. And again. I have to do that. Every time I teach on the spiritual gifts, I go back and I look at them again with new eyes, hopefully, and see some things. Like in 1 Corinthians 14, understanding that song is a gift, for example. So there's always that kind of thing going on. And, uh, and just to refresh ourselves and say, these are the gifts that should be operating now for building up one another in love. Romans 
For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, they have the function though, so we who are many are one body in Christ, individually members one of another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to each of us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. Now, that's not around today, but the rest of them are. Ready? If service in his serving. In other words, if you have the gift of service, exercise it in serving. When you come together, when we come together, those of us that have gifts of serving, guess what? Operate in that. <laughs> Serve one another. Okay? He who teaches in his teaching. In other words, you can have the gift of teaching, but the idea is for you to use the gift of teaching. And to look out for opportunities. And by the way, the rest of us should also be helping people find opportunities to use, use our gifts. He who exhorts is an important one in his exhortation. Exhortation is what we just saw today, the practical side of things. Encouragement, right? That's a gift. He who gives with liberality. In other words, if you have the spiritual gift of giving, then give liberally, Right? Joyfully, right? Lord loves a cheerful giver. But that's a gift that some people have. You may, not, you, know, you may look around and say, wow, you know, how can that person do that? They're so generous. They're so giving. Well, part of it is who they are. They've been built up and matured. But then there's this gift that they've been given to do it, you know. And we've talked about that many times. But the principle of giving in first, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is that God gives you the ability to give. And when you give... God gives you the ability to give more. All right? That's, what I mean by that is that he's going to bless you financially. Now, that, don't go backwards on that. All right? But the principle is that you have that gift. He's going to make sure that you have the resources to exercise it. He who leads, that's a gift, with diligence. He who shows mercy. By the way, it's he or she, but you know the language is inclusive. With cheerfulness. All right? The last thing, you, if somebody's showing you mercy, kindness, Telling you, oh, you know, I know you have those things in your past, but trust me, they're all forgiven, right? If you do that, but you don't do it with cheerfulness, well, you know, you are forgiven after all. You know, no, cheerfulness. Joy about how you've been forgiven and they've been forgiven too. Cheerfulness. Now, here in Romans 12, we have both communication gifts and serving gifts. Communication gifts, teaching Exhortation. These are communication gifts. Now, they may not be exercised in front of everybody all the time. There could be teaching going on with the young people. I mentioned this already. By the way, mature women, not just talking about age, but spirit, well, spiritually mature, are to teach the younger women and so forth. Teaching. Okay? And then exhortation. So important. We all need to be exhorted to, to, to do the things that we're called to do in God's word and also to be comforted and encouraged. Those are communication gifts. There's two more there. But now we have the serving gifts. Service, giving, leading. Anybody who's in a leadership position is operating in that gift, if they're, if they, if they're really operating as a leader. Showing mercy and helps. I threw up in helps. That's back in 1 Corinthians 12. All right, let's step back for a minute now. I want you to think about our congregation. Not necessarily individuals, but ask the question, do we have people in our congregation who exercise these gifts? Do you have people in our congregation that exercise the gift of teaching? You bet. I'm not going to name names. 
Exhortation. Yeah, we do. Service. Big time. This congregation is big time service. Giving. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a few very generous people. All right? We wouldn't be here. Just keep that in mind. Leading. Yep. Showing mercy. Yes. Helps. Certainly. Certainly. See, serving, serving is uh, in, a, in a sort of more or less, uh, not official capacity, but an ongoing position where your helps is just ready to help anybody, particularly those who have serving gifts and communication gifts, obviously other ones. All right. So the answer is yes. We don't have prophets. We don't speak in tongues. But we have the gifts that are permanent that are given to us today, and they're in operation and you know what? My observation is, is that our people exercise those gifts voluntarily. They're not pressured to do it. They don't do it because they have to. They do it joyfully. They're not forced. They're not put on the spot. That's the way it ought to be. Please turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. Ephesians 4, verse 7. We're going to see two communication gifts here. Ephesians 4, 7. And I want you to not only see the gift, but I also want you to see what it's for, how it operates. This is the best place to see how they operate, what their purpose is. Verse 7 of Ephesians 4. But to each one of us, there it is, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, Don't worry about that. But he gave gifts to men. All right, skip to verse 11. Okay, 9 and 10 are in parentheses. I know if I read them, people are going to have all kinds of questions and then we'll be distracted from the subject. 11. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets. Those were the foundation gifts in the first century. Wouldn't have the church growth that we had back then without apostles. Wouldn't, we wouldn't have the canon of Scripture completed if it weren't for the apostles. And the prophets contributed to that. That was in the first century. Here, now let's keep going. Some as evangelists. That's a communication gift. That's ongoing. Now we are all to evangelize. We are all to t- preach God's word to people. That need to, the gospel, rather. But there are some who are gifted with that. We're gifted to be able to go and, and talk to a whole group of people and preach the gospel in a powerful way. All right. I, let me say about that, I think that um, we perhaps don't have that gift it's visible here. But you know what we do have? We're associated with evangelists, right? In other words, evangelists are supposed to be connected to a body and then do their work, you know? And I think we have a good, good connection with several of the people that we support, right? Like Rich Freeman, like Keithy and Starling, and so forth. Like Pastor Kingsley, like you know, the folks at Grace Bible Pakistan, and others too, Gene Cunningham. We have a relationship. They're part of us, right? We may not necessarily have the gift in somebody who's here, but we are sharing and supporting the, the gift of evangelism. Now, why? What's the purpose of these communication gifts? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service. See how that works? Communication gifts build up those with serving gifts. That's the way it's supposed to work. To the building up of the body of Christ. Till we all attain the unity of the faith. Notice all. 
We're attaining it together. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to one mature man. That doesn't just mean that there's one who's way super mature than everybody else. No, we're one body in Christ. He's the mature man. To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Look at verse 15. Speaking the truth in, in what? Love. There it is again. If you don't have love, your gift is a noisy gong cling symbol. We ought to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. And notice this, verse 16, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, notice this, according to the proper working of each individual part. That's why I talked about faithfulness this morning. Every part matters. You, you are a part of the body of Christ. Sure, maybe you're just an ankle. You might say, well, I'm, I'm not the head, I'm not the eyes, so I, pff, I don't need to be there. Just an ankle. <laughs> Have anybody in this congregation ever had a broken ankle? Anybody? Broken ankle? Broken ankle, broken ankle. Yeah. How, how, how were you able to walk at that time? Was it just normal, the body functioning fine? No, right? A tooth. You have one tooth that's hurting, and the whole body is like... Well, it's the same thing here. We need each individual part to be working properly. That's what causes the growth of the body. All of us contribute to building up the body in love. Enduring principles that apply to every generation. Building up the body. Speaking the truth in love. The proper working of each individual. Building up the body in love. So again, if we're making a list, we have two more communication gifts, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So just like the Corinthian church in the first century, we have a rich variety of gifts. And like the Corinthian saints, we need to make sure we don't exercise our gifts in a manner that results in confusion. Rivalry. I've, you know, I've seen that happen. You know, I, I've seen where people are competing to be the one that's going to be the lead singer. I'm not talking about here, but I've seen that. You know, people competing to see who's going to be uh, recognized as having a speaking gift. A lot, of, a lot of men think they have the gift and they don't have it, but they're still pushing themselves. They're advocating, you know. No. That's disorder. That's improper. Now, the interesting thing about Corinth and the land here today is that they tell us all the things not to do. All the things that do cause confusion and disorder in the assembly. We've seen all of this. I'm just going to give you the list today. Selfishness, the top one. Selfishness will cause disorder and, and chaos in the assembly. Rivalries and divisions. Think about it. If we gathered together and we were the, the Hatfields sat on this side and the McCoys sat on that side and you're glaring at each other, how much building of the body is going on? Zippo. Here's another one. Coveting another person's gift. Breaks things up. Dissatisfaction with your own gift. Causes division. Causes confusion. Jealousy. Bragging. Can you imagine what will happen if just one person is going around bragging about how great their gift is? You know, if somebody somebody has the gift of giving and they're bragging about it, then guess what? It's become a clanging symbol. (laughs) 
bragging. You're not supposed to brag about it. You're supposed to do it in love. Same thing with any of the gifts. Arrogance, well, we talk about that all the time. Seeking one's own. Easily provoked. Imagine that. Imagine if there's a person, and this happens, but if a person all the time is taking offense to a lot of things people are saying, right? What's the, what do they call it today? Triggered. Easily triggered. Imagine that. But what if we had five of those people here? You see, that'd be enough to really cause confusion and resentful. All right, so that, the point is, is that we learn what not to do. We, in chapter 13, the love passage, from chapter 13, verses 4 to 8, will tell you what not to do as much as what to do. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. This is true when people interact with one another. But I just want to leave you with this one thing. It's also true inside each one of our hearts. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. He doesn't want us to be confused on the inside. He is not the author of confusion. Our enemies are the world, the flesh, and Satan. They're the ones that want to produce confusion and disorder in our hearts. Not God. I want you to take this in. I want this to be something that builds you up and puts you at rest. God doesn't want you to be confused or agitated. He wants you to be at rest, at peace, knowing that it is finished, knowing that your eternal security is there. All those things. That's what he wants. He doesn't want you to be confused or agitated. He wants you to rest. And he wants his peace to guard your hearts and your minds. All right, so let it. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much today for having all the operating gifts here today for those who have came early to set things up, for those who showed kindness and mercy to others, for those who uh, taught, sang, preached, those who are givers, all of that, Father, we thank you. Man, we thank you so much for the Spirit providing a manifestation to each of us. Help us, Father, to see the gifts in others and build that up and give them opportunities to exercise them. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, just remember a couple of things here. We do have Bible study Thursday at 7. All right, please join us. Eternal security, something that, believe me, the enemies will attack, you know. I'm not talking about people. Our battle is not against people, but against the spiritual forces of wickedness. You see, if you don't think you're saved, or if you think you can lose your salvation... Are you going to be at peace in your heart? No. But the Word of God doesn't say that. It says the opposite. So please join us. I just want to make sure we all know the gospel. All right? I want to preach the gospel one more time to everybody. All right? it's, and the gospel is this. We're born sinners. Not because of anything we did, but because of what Adam did in the garden. It, it infected the whole human race. We're born dead in our sins. God sent his only son, God the Son, to earth, born of a woman, the God-man. As he, since he is human, he was able to die. But think of it, God's son dying on a Roman cross for our sins, for your sins, for my sins. He was buried. And, and may, most people, if not all at that time, thought that was it, that was the end of the story. But it wasn't the end of the story. Because God the Father raised his son from the dead on the third, three, third day. 
And so because of that, he is alive. And God says, I, I so love you that I've given you my one and only son that whoever believes in him will never perish, but have eternal life. So how do we know that? Because we, we know that Jesus Christ is risen. And he has, he has, his humanity has eternal life. And so because of that, and because of the promise that any of us who believe will also have eternal life, what a message. What a message. What a God that we have. If, if, you've, if you've never heard that message or never understood it, I pray that you do today. The eyes of your heart will be open. The Spirit will convict you, understanding that the greatest need, the only real need you have is a Savior. And God has provided that. And, and provided it in such a way that, that, that a child believes. So how about you? How about you? Are you ready to be like a child and just say, I have a father in heaven, loves me so much, gave his son to die for me, and was risen from the dead so that I can have eternal life? All right, let's, let's close one more time in prayer. Father, we thank you again today, most of all, for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you most of all for his unbelievable gift, dying for us. We thank you also, Father, for the Spirit who manifests himself in the different gifts that we have. As we leave today, Father, help us to reinforce the notion that we are members one of another, that we're all needed, and that it is important that we are faithful to one another. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Thank you for bearing with me. I had a short number of pages today. Nevertheless, here it is, and I'm keeping you too late. I don't know, man, I don't know. But that, that's, you've been great. I thank you for that. And uh, hopefully we'll see a lot of you on Thursday evening at 7, so we continue with that study. You're dismissed. Enjoy the day. Amen.